Dog Works Radio is sponsored by Alaska Dog Works. Check out their website at alaskadogworks.com. You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and you're listening to Mushing Radio here on KVRF 89.7 in the Matsu Valley. RadioFreePalmer.org is our live streaming site. You can find all of our episodes over on firstpaw.media and follow all of our shows on the same name. And I am joined today by my co-host, Tony. Tony, how is the weather down on the Kenai Peninsula? I've whined so much about it in the last 48 hours. Um, it's, it's snowy. I've got five foot drifts. Well, I had five foot drifts in my driveway. I've got about six foot drifts in my front yard. And I've got a nine foot pile of snow in uh, the circle on the street that I live. So I am surrounded by snow. I, am, I, I don't think I need any more snow for the rest of the year. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, a lot of mushers are saying the exact same thing. All of us are happy snow dancers, but when you get this much snow this early in the year, it can be very difficult. We've lived here, I think this is our 13th winter now, and I don't think we've ever had this much snow this early in the year in this short amount of time. I believe we've had almost five feet of snow since Thanksgiving, and if you're a dog musher, you are spending a heck of a lot of time digging out. And that is sort of the story of the day for this week's episode because we're spending just as much time digging as we are training. Uh, our little team of three here has spent well over 15 hours in the last 36 hours or so just <laughs> digging out from these storms. And we're supposed to get another foot or so tonight. I don't know this will all be airing afterwards, but hopefully the snow acoplips or however you say it will be done and over with and we will sail into the new year with with very little snow, fingers crossed. So yes, that is a big story in the mushing world, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, we were talking about it earlier when we talked about the ace race and how most of the mushers, instead of giving us a um a recap of their races they were talking about digging out uh once they got home so it's one of those things where um the training has been basically the dogs breaking trail learning a lot about breaking trail mitch cv posted a video of his handlers uh running his teams through some uh very deep snow um you have uh riley dyche i think said that they were breaking trail with their face because of all of the low hanging branches and the deep snow. So the dogs are trudging through the snow and they've got big old snowy branches in the, the musher's face. So um, it's a, it's definitely uh, something everyone's talking about. Uh, I think everybody is ready for a breather and 
They did promise us on the news tonight that once this storm passes, we're good for at least the rest of December, I think is what they said. I'm holding them to that. If something pops up, I'm writing a very strongly worded letter to my meteorologist. So just from a musher's perspective, uh, typically, uh, we talked a lot about digging out, but typically it doubles the time on the trail if you're training a team in these type of conditions, no matter where you live, uh, whether you're in northern Minnesota or Maine or wherever, you're spending a lot of time uh, grooming and packing down trails so it can make uh, them the runnable on the sleds. And I say that it's double the time because almost always we are the ones that are taking care of or grooming our own trails. Typically, it's not a snow machine club or a trail committee or anything like that. It is the mushers in the neighborhoods and in the areas where they use the trails that do all of that work. So it makes that uh, 20-mile run that may take four or five hours or so, depending how fast your team is, into a eight- or nine-hour job if you're out there grooming as well. So it takes a lot of time to do all that training as well. So that's it. That is our snow report. I know neither one of us are meteorologists, (laughs) but we hope that uh, it does taper off a little bit for us here in Alaska. Since we are Alaska-based podcast, that is what we know best. But there is other news that we need to talk about here on tonight's episode. And of course, there was a lot of it since our last episode. Uh, The first one being that uh, Iditarod veteran Hugh Neff uh, applied to take part in the 2023 race. His uh, race application was denied by the uh, qualify, Qualifying Review Board, I believe is the correct name of that. And uh, it's caused quite a bit of a stir on both sides of the fence for this. What do you know about it? And then we'll talk a little bit about uh, our thoughts on it. Sure. Um, you know, really, there hasn't been a lot um, said past uh, the day that Hugh announced it. Um, Hugh uh, has his views on why it happened, but essentially um, each musher has to apply for the um, did rod. You, you don't just, you know, throw your name in the hat and that goes. You, you apply, it gets reviewed by the, the qualifying review board. It doesn't matter how many Iditarods you've run. They look at um, the whole especially the last race that you ran, um, your race season, all of that is taken into consideration. Um, Your kennel, your quality of kennel, all of that gets um, tied into that. And then it's just a simple yes or no. Um, And fans don't normally hear about those decisions. You just see the name of roster, the roster name uh, with who gets to go. and, And nobody says anything about how many, maybe have applied and did not make it, Um, you know, so that's kind of, I I think that's where um, uh, some of the mystery may be is that, you know, is this something normal or not? Um, But a lot of mushers have come out and said, since this was announced that, look, everybody who signs up and gives that entry fee knows that before anything is accepted, it has to go through the review board. Hugh was given a letter uh, at the beginning of the month saying that he was not going to be allowed to run this uh, coming race, but that they would welcome his application in the future. 
um, and that they were refunding his entry fee, which is that $4,000 entry fee. Um, once Hugh went public with it, uh, Rob Erbach did um, give a brief uh, interview with uh, KTUU, uh, Channel 2, Alaska's news source, as they call themselves, um, basically saying uh, essentially that, you know, all measures go through the review board, they go through a process and ticking off boxes, um, and that there were some concerns uh, about Hughes race last year, uh, essentially is what it was. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not trying to put words in Rob's mouth. Um, you can find the article on ktuu.com. Um, but yeah, so that's where they stand. Uh, Hugh does say, did say in the following days that he would be racing other mid-distance races. Uh, so far, I think the only one that he's said that he's going to run is the Kinnick. Um, but I've not seen a roster update that includes his name. So everyone's kind of thinking that um, he's taking the place of Jim Lanier's former um, handler, uh, Dutch Johnson, who uh, was signed up for Kinnick, but then has since left Jim's kennel. And he, of course, is running Jim's dogs. So they just, I, that's what we're assuming is he's just going to take that slot instead. Great, great uh, synopsis there. I guess what I would <laughs> like to talk a little bit about is the qualifying review board itself. And I know you and I talked a little bit offline about sort of the merits of that and sort of it's, is it a good old boys club or what? I don't know who's on the board. I don't think virtually anybody does. Do you do you know, or is that sort of a mystery? I don't know. And honestly, I haven't ever really researched it because it hasn't really come into effect like it has this time. Just because, like I said, it doesn't normally get publicized. It's one of those things where, um, you know, if you're going to be denied, they're going to um, send you a letter like they sent you and kind of let it let it be so that you know there's no shame there's no embarrassment it's like hey just you know keep working at it and try again next year and and we'll see if we can check all those boxes and get you to the start line um i think um i i think it would be it's probably not so much a good old boys club but i'm sure like race marshal or race judges um are part of that former mushers um, probably the, uh, the veterinarian director, <laughs> um, it would be my guess, but I've not ever seen, I don't think a, a listing of who's on the qualifying review board. You know, the only problem I have with it is if there is no appeal or any recourse on the musher's part, you know, mm -hmm. of course there are wild differences between what can happen either way. Uh, whether it's uh, dog care or musher fitness or whatever. There could be a lots of variances, but if there's not an appeal process for the musher to to be at least heard, I think that that's a problem. What do mm -hmm. you think? Yeah, and that's something that, you know, neither side has said one way or the other. You know, Hugh hasn't even said anything about, I want to appeal. You know, he just went off saying that he could have sued Iditarod last year and he decided not to. And, and I'm sitting there going, but it, it shouldn't, shouldn't we be talking about what's going on right now? Um, you know, 2022 is one thing and I get that still being upset about, you know, how that scratch went down, but 
Um, you know, as far as, as, you know, Rob doesn't even say, hey, you know, if he really does feel like this was in error, he could go through these steps. So I don't know if there's an appeals process. I don't know what the, you know, I've never seen an actual Iditarod application other than in the two seconds that they slide it across the desk at the signups. And I'm trying very hard not to just be nosy and, and read over people's shoulders and whatnot. But um, I would assume all of the legalese and how they can deny an application is in there. Um, I don't know what the process is for other races either. I know that there is an appeals process if um, you know you're disqualified. You can you can make um, those things during the race uh, for Iditarod. We saw that last year with uh, Michelle Phillips and Mila, who um, they they didn't they weren't disqualified, but they did get penalized, and then they went through the appeals process, and their their original placements were reinstated. Um, so I don't know if there's an appeals process for this situation. Um, I would think that they would have one, but again, I, I don't know. And I don't know that those rules are readily available on their website. So guys, what do you think about this process? The qualifying review board, mushers getting approved, then kicked out or, or whatever. Let us know your thoughts on socials or in the comment section of this episode. So up next, we're going to talk about another upcoming race that's having a little bit of a struggle getting to the start line because of weather. And that is the um, series over in Bethel. What do you know about that one? So the season opener hasn't opened. They've had to postpone twice. It was supposed to kick off um, right around the same time as the Ace race, uh, a little bit before that, um, they had to postpone it because of trail conditions not setting up and it not being safe to travel on the rivers. Um, they had hoped that it, it would continue to freeze and that they would be able to um, run, but another weekend storm brought warm, wet conditions to Bethel, and so they've now postponed it to December 17th. Um, they have 21 teams signed up so far, and the registration remains open until the 15th, which is Thursday. Uh, and then they also have now pushed back the Holiday Classic um, to December 26th. So it's just basically, and this happens and why most races have gone pushed back to January. We used to have more races in December than we do now. And it's mainly because of the wet, yucky weather that we typically see uh we don't normally see three feet of snow dropping in one weekend so <laughs> um, uh yeah it's it's not too surprising uh, i have seen a few reports from uh kennels uh out there on the west coast showing that they do have snow but it is that wet heavy sticky stuff um and so i would assume that they're looking at overflow and that sort of thing on the river yeah, and Bethel is an entirely different weather system than what we have here. And a little bit of perspective, it's it's a, a hour or so flight away uh, from from Anchorage to Bethel. So it's, I don't know exactly how many miles, at least five or 600 miles, I guess, from Anchorage or from where we're talking right now here in this south central area of Alaska. So a lot different weather, a lot different conditions there. And as you mentioned, Tony, a lot of these races will be held on runs on the river, which is an entirely different uh, 
type of race than it would be like we talked about the uh, Alpine Creek excursion race, which is on a closed highway. And then races up here are typically mm-hmm. a combination of uh, river running and trail running. A lot of the races, at least here in South Central, are. Right. So this first one, was it a sprint type race or what was it? Um, it was, I believe, a 32-mile out and back um, race. Uh, I know the Holiday Classic is supposed to be a 50-mile race. Um, essentially, the season opener was to kick off their new Delta Championship Series, which is a series of shorter to mid-distance races um, to really spark interest and excitement about dog mushing and the sport of dog mushing to many of the local kennels uh, along the western coast. Um, It's separate from the Kuskokwim 300. The Kuskokwim 300 isn't one of the races in the Delta Championship, but it is run by the same people. Um, so it's got some of the other races that normally tag along with the Cusco, but now they're, they're grouping it into this sort of Grand Prix series. And the more times you run and the more placement, high placements you get, you are closer to winning the grand prize of that dog food um, that the winner gets. So it's, it's a really interesting uh, concept. It's one that Iditarod has tried to do a grand series. Uh, yeah, Grand Series, like that Grand Prix Series. Um, and of course, COVID kind of threw a wrench into that. We've only seen it go off once. So we don't, we can't say it's successful or not successful. Um, but it's, it, I think it's, I think it's what we will probably see more of in the sport, um, just as things are changing, you know, I don't know how long we will have these really long distance. We've already seen the quest drop down to 550 in Alaska and 400 and something uh, in Canada. It's no longer a thousand mile race. I did a rod um, may end up getting shorter. It's already under a thousand miles now, but it may continue to get shorter as um, communities grow and they have to keep moving the start line or they may never make, I mean, you know, there could be a time due to climate change that Nome isn't an option to finish anymore. So um, lots of lots of factors. And I think these sort of Grand Prix championships may help. It'll also, it also stimulates the, the local mushing community in both uh, interest as well as financially, or at least food wise. So um, a lot of positives. And I'm really bummed to see that they're having so much trouble kicking it off. And it's no secret that both you and I are excited to see this kick off. We've talked about it in the last few episodes, and it's it's truly a new new format uh, for mushing here in Alaska. As you mentioned, there are a bunch of races that sort of take part individually, sort of their own mm-hmm. race organizations and all that. But when you're putting on a series of races under the same organization, that's that's a big deal because they take a heck of a lot of work. Uh, to put on even just one race. So I can imagine what it would take to put on. I don't know exactly how many. Do you know how many races there's supposed to be? I believe there are six uh, plus the Cusco 300. Wow. I think they've got seven or eight races that they're in charge of. That's that's a lot of work because like I did a rod, a lot of this is is, uh, held by volunteers. The volunteers do... Mm -hmm most of the work and i'm sure that's how it is out there as well they just don't have the manpower to to staff a full race over many miles especially in remote country like 
that area of Alaska. I can imagine that volunteers are tough to come by, not only here in Iditarod and Yukon Quest and other races here, but also in that portion of the country as well. So hopefully that kicks off and we will do at least a race recap if it does kick off this coming (laughs) weekend, but we'll talk about it as it comes up. So Tony, before we went on air, you said that there was some news, at least a little bit of news about the Yukon quest. Is that right? Um, yeah, we've got, we've got some new entries for the Alaska side for, um, the Yukon quest 550, just one new name. It was Nicholas Petit. He, uh, posted on Facebook uh, a couple days ago that, their uh, review board has accepted his entry and he will be running that. So it's getting a little more competitive. Um, I think this is his first quest, um, but we all know that when Nick's in the running for any of these races, that it's going to be quite the show. He's he's definitely one of those dark horses. Either his team's just going to fly down that trail or he's going to have uh, – directional challenges and, and all that sort of thing. So it's always fun to see Nick uh, throw his hat in the ring. And that race is in early February. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, they of course uh, split off from the Canadian side of the quest. So uh, the both quests have different start days, but they're within a week or two of each other. And there's just a couple of mushers that are planning to run both. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how that pans out in the next year or so. I know we talked about it earlier in the summer, but has anything come up where there's been any type of talk or agreement uh, been discussed about bringing them back together to do a full race again? Do you know? I've seen little things um, online. I don't know if it's official or if it's just hopes and rumors, but someone posted a month or so ago saying that uh, they had hopes for 2024. Um, I I don't know where they are in the process. I haven't seen anything that looks like they're trying to reconcile, but I'm not privy to those meetings. So I can't say for sure, but you know, it's one of those things, hopefully the boards can get back to an agreement and we can have that international race uh, because it was, something that set it apart from other races, especially here in Alaska. Um, But I haven't seen anything definitive. Very good. So Tony, I'm going to put you here on the spot a little bit. I just thought about this as (laughs) you were talking, Uh, but I want to start a new segment here on our podcast. And that is going to be sort of the pulse of the fans of the sport. And And I'm saying that because you are much more attuned to the pulse of the fans than I am. So let's kick this off. What is the pulse of the mushing fandom as we see it right now? What are people talking about? What discussions are happening online? What are the rumors? What's the gossip? Let some of the cats out of the bag if you can. I don't know that there's any good gossip lately uh, that I haven't started. No, I haven't started any gossip that I know of. Um, I think right now everyone's just kind of uh, sitting on pins and needles waiting for uh, what most fans consider the start of the season, which is going to be in January with the Knicks. 
uh, 200 and Willow 300 and the Costco. And what was interesting is I was talking with um, a, a long time Iditarod fan who uh, volunteers with Iditarod. She volunteers with my team on occasion. Um, and she was talking to me and asking a question. I said, well, you know, the Cusco Clem 300. And she was like, I I don't think I, I know about that. Nobody ever talks about that. And I'm like, dude, I talk about the Cusco all the time. It's like my favorite race. Um, so, so I think, you know, most fans that are online, I see typically fall, fall into two categories, either an Iditarod fan or a Quest fan. A few of us, uh, you know, follow both religiously, but most of the time it's, it's one or the other. And these mid-distance races aren't necessarily something that the online community talks about as much. Um, we're starting to see more people come around to it, and that's just because um, more races are coming online with the GPS trackers. And I think that's really, really helped um, because I did a ride didn't necessarily, I don't think they pioneered it per se, um, but it's something that most fans rely on. And so as more races go online with GPS, those races are now becoming more visible to the online community, the, the mushing fandom, if you will. So um, I haven't really seen too much excitement about the smaller races. Everyone's just basically talking about what we've talked about for weeks now, which is the Iditarod roster being so small, um, talking about sponsorships, how do we get more sponsorships for all of these races, but especially Iditarod and the Quest. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think we've really covered the pulse of the fandom really well over the last year. Um, I don't think we're too out of line with what people are talking about. But you know what is interesting, and you shot this over to me on social media earlier in the, <laughs> this week, is we have a new podcast online. It's called Mushing Alaska. It's hosted by the Underwoods. Sean Underwood is yep. is he an Iditarod finisher? I know he ran with Jeff King. Uh, his, uh, his yeah, he ran. Yeah, he ran Jeff's team one year, uh, and that was last minute. He wasn't planning on running his rookie race. Uh, quite so soon, but it was the year that Jeff got sick with uh, appendicitis, I think it was, and collapsed right before the start of the race, like just a day before. Um, and so Sean got special clearance. He'd already qualified, so it wasn't like they were like, yeah, I'll just let any bozo get on a sled and go. Um, but because Sean was Jeff's handler um, and had done all of his qualifiers and was planning to run uh, the next year's Iditarod, they went ahead and said, go ahead, get on the back of the sled and run. Kind of like what Jeff did with Nick Petit this year. But uh, he did not finish. That was the year that they had the Elam 11 because of that freak storm that went and melted everything and there was giant overflow. He was one of the ones that got stuck with Matt Saylor and, and had to be uh, li not life lighted, but uh, helicoptered out of the area. Uh, so he didn't finish his First try, he finished his second try, I believe, with Dallas Beebe's uh, rookie team. So um, he is an Iditarod finisher, and he's got some pretty uh, pretty big mentors uh, bouncing around in his head. So, yeah, he he does. So the name of their podcast is called Mushing Alaska. I believe it's on Spotify. It's also video as well. 
I listened to a little bit of it, and kudos to all those folks who are jumping on the podcast bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of advice to them, it is not as easy as you think it is. <laughs> There's a lot of time and effort that goes into this, and for folks that are thinking about starting a podcast, think long and hard about it, because it does take a lot of effort. So go check out their show. And if you like it, let us know. If you don't like us, like it, let us know as well. And uh, we will see what we can do to, uh, to better our show, at least a little bit uh, based on those, those facts. So Tony, anything else before we go? No, just hopefully uh, the forecasts are wrong and that neither of us gets buried by another foot of snow in the next 24 to 48 hours. Yes, I hope so. So we are going to be back on... Oh, oh! before we go, I understand that there's some Iditarod news about a town hall meeting. This will air right yes. before that happens. What do you know about that before we close? Uh, it's going to be online, uh, I believe on Zoom. That's, when they're, that's what they've been doing uh, since COVID hit. Um, it's going to be on Monday, December 19th at 5 p.m. Alaska time, which is 9 p.m. East Coast time, and everybody else gets to do their own math to find out what their time zone would be. Um, I've not seen an email come through with an invite to RSVP, so I am guessing that they will post a link for everyone. It must not be one that's just for ITC members. Um, but I, they did say that we could ask questions. So I'm, I'm really kind of interested to see what they are going to talk about. They said that they're going to talk about new initiatives. Um, so it, it'll be an interesting uh, conversation. I'm going to hopefully just kind of sit back and take it all in. Um, but hopefully if I can get off work on time, uh, no promises, but I'll try to be there and and then I'll be able to report on whatever is said that's of any real importance. So you had mentioned that uh, they typically send out an invite, uh, and you don't know if that's going to the members of the ITC or the general public. I know that they've done these, mm-hmm. this in the past. Did they send out invites mm-hmm. then, or did, was it just sort of a free-for-all yeah. about who could get on? No, you know, it's been in the past, um, you've gotten an, we've gotten an email invite and it's for ITC members, anybody who pays the $50 to become a wheel dog or whatever, or higher up on the tier, um, you know, gets the invite. But this one, they posted it on um, Facebook uh, with no RSVP link. So I'm assuming that means it's kind of a first come first serve or y'all come. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen anything definitive on that, but uh, I will definitely be on social media with any new information on that uh, so that those that want to view it and can have the opportunity. Yeah, definitely jump on there if you get a chance uh, and you are interested in sort of the comings and goings with the Alaska's <laughs> Alaska's last great race. I think that's very important to to keep your finger on the pulse of that if you're a fan of, of the race because – you know, just like NFL town halls and everything else, that a lot of the inner workings are mentioned in those type of meetings. A lot of it's boring, you know, uh, presenter talk, but otherwise there, there's few good nuggets that can be heard in these. And, and if you don't attend, uh, hopefully we are able to attend ourselves and we'll report back to you guys on what we heard. So, Tony, I appreciate you being on tonight and we will talk again real oh, yeah. soon, okay? Sounds good. 
All right. On behalf of my co-host, Tony, this is Robert from Mushing Radio. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye. From DogWorks Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.